Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and my guest today is Brian Fine in Australia, and we are on uh, uh, meeting each other via Skype. And it's quite interesting that they've just given an advert about the Arcadia uh, shop, because we're going to be talking. Uh, part of our discussion is about Brian's father, who was an Ockburg orphan. Brought up in Arcadia for a while, and this is a unique story, and we can each find meaning in this story. What is what is it about the story that actually offers us the meaning about living and and moving forward? Brian, welcome to High FM. It's so good to have you. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your station. And uh, if there's any of my old friends uh, listening, I say hi from Sydney as the sun goes down over this beautiful city of ours. And uh, it's just a pleasure to be with you today. Great. Brian is an ex-South African, and uh, as you can hear, the the accent is still there. And so he hasn't forgotten us, have you, Brian? And uh, he, our topic is take the first step. And Vincent van Gogh said, great things are not done by impulse, but by a series of small things brought together. Now, Brian, I would like to actually tie that in with your father's story. Mm -hmm. Please tell me a bit about how you, when you were brought up, what did you know about your dad? First of all, actually, before we go on, I would like to dedicate this a particular podcast to your father, Azadol Feinschmidt, who was known as Sydney or Jack Fine. So we oh, dedicate this program to him. Thank now, you so much. about your childhood with him. Well, my childhood, I was one of those kids who was born in 1945, which gives away my, my, my age, but... Um, I was born in 45 and there was after the war and to tell you the truth we were born into this glorious age this golden age the baby boomers and our fathers and mothers or generally were not going to share their miseries with us uh, we were too busy playing soccer running around going for our Fitzroy uh, whatever it is um, just having a good time and as youngsters I guess we never really knew to ask and maybe I had asked but I never really got the answers I did know however that my father was an orphan but How I never really asked much he had told me okay. and that he had no family and I guess I knew not to ask mm. it's not that he buttoned up or anything like that but you just didn't ask. Were, was there anything, any idiosyncrasies or anything like that in his behavior that looking back you could actually say, oh, maybe that came from his past? 
Sue, yes. Um, and something I only recognized years and years later. I'll give you an example. We used to sit down at our dinner table and we would say, look, we, we, we're full. We can't eat anymore. And he would say, sit, stay seated. You will finish your dinner. It doesn't matter how long you sit, but our plates are clean. And this funny thing is that that's a habit I still have today. You'll never see me eating a meal that I don't finish the plate. There's nothing left on my plate. And I guess maybe when you haven't had food, to him, to for us to throw away food was a crime. Mm-hmm. To us, we did, I didn't realize it at the time. Mm-hmm. But that is the reality, one of the realities. And was he a caring father? Was he involved in your lives? Absolutely. Um, he was involved. We, we had an incredible relationship at a level. It didn't go too deep because there was a side to him that one just didn't step into, and that was the past. But as a father of the future, He was all encouraging, go and play your soccer, I'll take you, I'll do this, I'll do that for you. He was a very kind, very kind man. Mm. Now, I have read quite a bit about his story in in, uh, David Sandler's book on Arcadia, and you write a whole part there about him. So, you know, just let's look at this story of unbelievable courage of a boy of seven. I mean, I just found it mind-blowing. Just, will you just fill it in for me, please? Tell us a bit about your dad. Okay, look. My father was a man who never stepped back. He was not aggressive, but he would never step back. He was a man who had very high moral principles. And especially living in an apartheid uh, country, um, he had many uh, black and Indian friends. And um, it was to him very natural to be friendly with everybody. Uh, He had many friends. He was one of these guys. He had no money, but he had friends. And that was the wonderful thing about him. Wow, that's amazing. You know that uh, Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And that seems to actually speak to who your father was. Because I see part of what you said was that he could never see a beggar or walk past a beggar. No, he couldn't. Um, You know, his heart bled for a lot of people. And um, I don't want to get into the political side of his life, but um, there were certain things that were unacceptable to him. And um, the fact that my younger brother and myself uh, started leaving South Africa back in 1966 (laughs) – Uh, Although I went back, my brother never went back. Uh, There was always encouragement uh, for us to go somewhere where the life was better. Is that so? Gosh. Now, just to pick up on your your dad again, what happened when he was seven years old? Well, when he was seven years old, from what I can gather, there are a couple of things that happened. 
two two major incidents that I've been able to kind of find out about. Now, I might be making up a little bit of the story because you never really know what the truth is. But as a child, something happened to him. Um, What would happen when the pogrom started? Uh, they knew that the troops were coming in, that the white army, the red army. Was this German, in the Ukraine? In, in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. In fact, in Belarus today. Okay. But the borders, the borders kept changing. It was one day Poland, it was under Germany, it was under Russia. So these people were constantly in a war zone. And, um, what happened is he had lost his parents and Oh, no, I'll t- sorry, I was telling you the story. He had a recall, because my mother told me the story, that the children, when they knew the pogroms were coming, the adults would send the children into the woods. Mm-hmm. And they would go into these forest areas, let's say 20 children. And their parents, they, they did, kids didn't want to go, they didn't understand. And the parents would say, just go before I beat you. Just get mm-hmm. out of here. And so they would go into this forest. If 20 went in, sometimes only 18 came out. Mm-hmm. They lived, they would try and live in the snow. They had a little bit of food, but there were wolves and there were, there were a lot of dangers oh, in that forest. And a child. Oh. So when we ever saw a dog that looked anything like a wolf or an Alsatian, my father would go as stiff as anything. So Gosh. We'll get back to that in a moment. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. If you have an issue that you are dealing with and need to talk, remember that Hi FM has a helpline for you. 22 trained counselors are standing by to speak to you. It's anonymous. It will not be broadcast. We are here to help you. 24 hours, 7 days a week. Call 0800-242436. The High FM Helpline. Caring. Compassionate. Confidential. Can you imagine listening to the radio and hearing an ad for your business on High FM? What would your business look like if more people knew about your services and products? Like what you hear? Then listen closely. High FM has introduced the Get Lit Deal. 20 radio commercials per month during prime time for just 2,000 rand. That's 2,000 rand for 20 ads in prime time. There are T's and C's, so please call us on 0101 or email us info at chaifm.com. That's C-H-A-I-F-M dot com. Get lit, get radio, get chaifm. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Brian Fine from Australia. And we are talking about his dad, and who was an Ockberg orphan, who was known as Jack Fine here in South Africa, but his actual name was Zadel Feinschmidt. Um, Brian, we were talking about, I just I suddenly thought of something. You said your father was terrified when he saw an Alsatian, any dog that looked like a wolf. And, you know, a lot of young Holocaust children, uh, children who were in the Holocaust have said the same because of the Alsatians that the Nazis mm-hmm. had. 
So mm-hmm. it must be a very, it must have been a very terrifying thought for him that, as you say, how many went into the forest and how many came out? Well, I don't know. I mean, this this is what I sort of gathered, and it wasn't just once. I mean, this was something of a regular occurrence uh, when the armies came or when the uh, call it the bandits came. Because there were so many people, uh, deserters from the First World War that were forming their own little military uh, groups. And they would just go into the shtetls and rape and pillage and uh, it was terrible. And so your father at the age of seven actually was sent, uh, you, uh, you, you write a story about what you gather, that his father told him to go and what it must have felt like to be told to go. But then when he realized that his parents were both killed, he set out on an unbelievable search for his brother. Just yeah. can, you, can you tell us a bit about that? Well, it's here again um, from what I have gathered. So I, I actually wrote a story once called Red Snow. And the red snow, the red in the snow represents blood. So the children came back and they saw their parents slaughtered. And now they're alone in this world, no one to turn to, knowing that he had an elder brother who lived in the town of Brest-Litovsk, which was, in fact, where they signed the um, armistice after the First World War. And... He now had to walk about 70 or 80 kilometers Mm. in the snow to get to this city. Um, The nightmares, and I I think I did speak to you. um, It's about another incident um, that happened to him where uh, we were sitting at the Royal Cinema in (laughs) Orange Grove, which many of you might know. (laughs) Um, And we were watching Gone with the Wind, and there was a scene where the city of Phoenix, I think it was, was devastated, and these people were walking through the fields with nothing to eat, and all they could find was an onion. And when this scene came on, my father had a breakdown in the movie house. He had a recall. And so... We related to an onion. All he had was an onion to eat. And um, that was it. And so he made this incredible journey. I don't know how he made it, um, but he did. And he got there. He never, ever found his brother. He was then picked up by some agency and taken to the orphanage in Brest, which is where Ochberg actually found him. Oh. And he must have been totally traumatized by then. Mm. Well, yes, I, I guess I guess he was. He must have been because he had nightmares till the age of thirty-five every night of his life. Mm-hmm. What stopped after thirty-five that he stopped having nightmares? Do you know? Yeah, it must have been me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, that, that was the story. My mom, I mean, he had very disturbed dreams. And um, in actual fact, they could not conceive. We were a bit of like lummockies because we, um, we were born 
nearly 10 years after they got married. And you've three boys in your family were born. There were three boys. Wow, that's amazing. But, you know, I, I read somewhere once it said, never let your fear decide your fate. And your father definitely seemed to to actually not allow his fear to 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 decide his fate. But as a young boy, were you sitting next to him when you went to go and see the movie? Yes, and, I was. And I how had... did you feel when he cried? Well, I thought it was very strange. In fact, it was quite embarrassing for me because, you know, we were in this. I, I'd never seen this from my father. Mm. It's, so it the must have been a shock. it's the only time that I ever really experienced it. So, you know, when you write about his story, you you actually started looking into it only after your father passed away. And he actually passed away when he was quite young. He was 57, I think, wasn't he? That's correct, yes. And what, did he die of, of a heart attack well, or cancer? He, 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 no, he had a heart attack. Okay. And um, so yeah. your mom, he obviously spoke to your mom about his past because your mom seems to have known quite a lot. Okay. Well, the story goes like this. My mom certainly knew, but I guess she also knew where the line was. Um, and... The story goes like this, that one day a man rocked up in Johannesburg with some photographs signed at the back, claiming or saying that this is pictures of your niece. You have a brother. You had a brother. The brother had now passed away. You had a brother. This is his niece. Things are getting so bad in Europe. Can you save this girl and bring her to South Africa? And my parents then applied to adopt her. They tried to get her married. They tried to do everything they could. And this is before the Holocaust to get her to South Africa. And unfortunately, um, they were unsuccessful. Government policy at the time was there was no one allowed to come from Europe. And so um, they perished. Their whole family perished in Brest-Litovsk when the Nazis rounded them up. Um, so we did find a few names in our research, but they all disappeared. Now tell and me so about... Was, sorry, if I may just finish that. So yeah. it was not something we spoke about. It was a photograph that was hidden in a drawer in my mother's cupboard that I only came across because I used to steal the biscuits that she kept in the cupboard. Okay. <laughs> so when did your search for for understanding of your own genealogy begin? Well, I guess, you know, when I got to Australia, uh, but when I left Johannesburg, I just took with me whatever I felt might be of interest. So I had a chumash, I had a family pictures. Now, we didn't, we couldn't really afford a camera, but we had family pictures, and I took took them, and they stood for a year or so. There was nothing I could do. I was too busy trying to settle into Australia. Then, one rainy day, I looked at the pictures, and I said, what the hell is this? What am I looking at? I can see the picture of this young girl, and my mother had told me many years ago 
that this was a girl they tried to save. She was, so it, it, it wasn't clear in my mind. But I phoned my mother to get a bit of clarity, and she told me that these people had perished in the war. And so I said, let me start looking and finding out about my family, because I knew nothing from an orphan family, and my mother only had one sister, so we had a very, very small family. And so I started to look. And... Uh, you ask, you know, what's the first step? I guess it's like a river, you know, there's a, a drop of water that falls and then another drop and then suddenly you've got a little pool of water and the pool starts to flow and the river eventually starts to go and cascade. And that's what happened with me. I became totally absorbed and I was fortunate in my time. Uh, I am very computer literate. I work on the computers all my life. And so what happened is I was able to get on the internet and start searching and this name, Ochberg, kept coming up. Somehow. I don't know how it came up. I, if you ask me, I don't know. But it was there. And I started to look for it. And there was not one thing on the internet of real fact about Isaac Ochberg. Ah. And I mean, so, he was he was similar to Schindler. He should have been known. Good heavens! So there was just guess, nothing guess, there that you came across. Well, a lot so, of people. Yeah. yeah. So how did you go further? Because I see that you actually say that your your father carried on with his friendships uh, from Arcadia. So did you not oh, realize that they were also part of this orphanage? Did, did I say that? Yes, uh, in actual fact, I, my father had friends, and only when I started to research and started to find people, because my research actually took me to London, I found someone who was also searching, and I found someone in Cape Town who was searching. I found Benny Penzik, who you know, in Israel. Israel. Okay, I found even someone in Australia. So when we started putting the puzzle together... It was really like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, when it started to come together to give us a little bit of clarity, um, I was able to – I forget what your question was. <laughs> I'm so busy with this puzzle. Um, but I was talking about your dad's friends. How it started. So suddenly Uncle Jaime was at the – and this guy – that we visited in Pretoria was Mr. Penzik. And this other friend of his, the names just kept coming up because I started to find lists of all the kids. Uh, okay, so now on these lists were these people that I knew. Good heavens. None of them. None of them. That's crazy to think about it. But I wouldn't say none of them. Most of them never told their kids. This is a common thread. So did you start telling them, the children then, did you start telling your your friends about it? Well, well the amazing thing is that in my search, uh, I have a very good friend. He's like our family here in Australia, Michael Fisher. And in speaking to my mum, she said to me, you know, my, I'm sure Michael's father was also at the orphanage. Well, we searched for his father and we found it. He never knew, never heard the name Ochberg. Same as me. 
and we kept finding people and the story was the same. That's amazing. If anyone would like to send any messages through, you can on SMS 34519 or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. I also actually need to thank Vusi, DJ and Craig for keeping us on air, Brian. But going back to your dad, now you, your father was a plumber. And you used to go back to Arcadia with him because he used to go and do maintenance there. Did he okay. ever point out his dorm or anything like that to you? I'm sure you never knew a thing. Let me let me just tell you a little bit about the history. My father was 12 years old. In fact, he was 13 years old, just had his bar mitzvah. We have a copy of a letter that he wrote to the orphanage because he was he said, I am very unhappy here. Now, this is two years. He never spoke a word of English. And here he wrote this beautiful letter. He said, I'm very unhappy. Please let me go out of this orphanage and go and work. And I can become an apprentice. So, no, he would never point out. He did not love his life. He had a very unhappy life in the orphanage. And they tried to get all the kids adopted, by the way, to get them out of the orphanage. That never worked. Not with well, I actually was quite fascinated by the story you told about that, how he was actually, he was sent to a family and the, the father said something about his parents and your father gave him a good smack, the father a good clap, and, um, and he was sent back to the orphanage. Yeah. So, well, you know, you know, your uh, father had a very strong personality and he comes across as a leader as well. Well, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't quite say as a leader, but he he certainly um, was a stand up man. Mm-hmm. He would not allow someone to say something bad about it, because believe it or not, the sad part about adopting orphans is that some people their intention was to get another little servant into the house, mm. um, which was really sad. Mm. Very, very sad. <clears throat> and did your mom, was your mom a South African? Uh, she was from London. But, oh, okay. Uh, so she, so she had a very different life to your dad. Yes. Well, she went to school in Johannesburg. Mm. So when, uh, you know what, I'm very fascinated about when you started your step-by-step unpacking your father's life. What did you learn about yourself in that time, in that journey? Because it became your journey. I guess it became my journey. And I I, I was so involved. I, mean, I can't even tell you how involved I was at um, but unfortunately, I felt I was up against the brick wall because I could find so little. So the search was painstaking and you'd have to wait a week or six months before you found the Internet was so new in the 1988s and 90s that it was so new that it was there was nothing on it. And so what happened is I built this website. And I put it on and that was fantastic because we then started to get people writing to us from all over the world and people Good. saying, am I your cousin? Am I this? Uh, uh, very interesting people uh, coming and saying, oh, your name was Feinschmidt. Mine is from 
punch, but maybe we related, you know. Amazing. We just will get back to that in a moment. Thank you, Craig. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Each of us is on life's journey. Thank you for letting Hi FM provide the soundtrack to your life. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with um, Brian Fine in Australia. We're on Skype, and we've been talking about his dad. Right now, we're just going to a very short YouTube by Edith Eager, and it's on personal leadership and the choice to be free. Uh, Edith Eager was a, a Holocaust uh, survivor. Thank you, Craig. One of the things it's so hard for us to realize, especially when we grow up in a family, as my mother perhaps told me, why aren't you like your sister or why aren't you like such and such? <laughs> One of the only person that was ever created is you. I hope that you acknowledge that you're very authentic, that you're very much you, that Nobody can do what you can do the way you can do it, you see. And I hope that that's what you're going to decide, how you're going to be remembered by the way you decide today that a job is a place where you want to make a lot of money and do as little as possible. But you see, hopefully, you have your life's work, as I do, that I don't look at the clock, that I want to be used up. And I hope you do too, because no one ever can replace you. You're one of a kind, beautiful diamond. And just remember, God doesn't make junk. You're beautiful just the way you are. You don't have to be like anyone else. You're the only one that God created. So I hope that maybe, as you listen to me, that you decide to be for love, and for uniting, and to give up the need to fight, and to be right, and to be able to really use all your wonderful skills to be the best you that you were meant to be, free. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, uh, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Brian Fine, and we're talking about one step at a time, and that was our topic. Brian, you know what Edith Eager has just said there is a very important part of all our stories. We all have unique stories that need to be told of our families, of ourselves, and and to encourage other people to also find their own authenticity and their own uniqueness. Now, I do believe that you have searched very hard to to become the person that you are 
and the person that you still continue to become. You're a, a, a successful businessman. You've done a lot of work. You're, you're a, a Rotarian. You, you do many. You've, you've started different clubs in, in Australia. So you certainly are an authentic people, a person. Now, just going back to um, the research that you were doing, I need to tell you a story that happened yesterday. I had uh, this book, you know, the um, Sally Sandler's book. I'm holding it up for you to see, the yep. one on the Ockberg orphans. And it was open at your page about your dad. And next to it is a picture of um, uh, of a woman and Leon, my husband, Leon, walked past my desk and he saw it open and he came to me and he said, you're not going to believe it, but I actually know the woman in that photograph. So I said, well, who is it? I see you're also looking at the thing. And he said, um, it's, it's her name's Bloomer and they lived Behind us in Verenigen, our houses were back to back, his house and them, they were the Abrahams. And uh, her name was Bluma Pfeiffer. She was age 10 when she came to the to Arcadia as Achberg orphan. Now, Leon never knew that. Um, Bluma's daughters, Sheena and, and Louise, were actually friends of Leon's sister, Zelda's. Now, you know, you say nobody, you, there he said, you know, their houses were back to back. They were all good friends, but nobody ever spoke about it in, in those days. They, you know, you just, you got on with it. But I, I wanted to now go to your part about, I love the story that you wrote about the day the angels came. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. Please, because well, it goes on with your dad's story too. Well, put it this way. W what had happened from Solly's book uh, that he wrote uh, and through our research and gathering up, call it the gathering of the orphan uh, children, uh, we found 138 uh, different families. And so they'd had children and they'd had children. And there was quite an interesting thing happened uh, almost by mistake. Um, Benny Penzik had met up with uh, Herzl and uh, Herzl Katz, yes, and uh, told him the story and Herzl said, we have got to do something about Ochberg because Ochberg, as a philanthropist, was the biggest donor of any tract of land by an individual in Israel. So he, he really was a great Zionist. And um, they then went to the JNF. I actually have a JNF pen in my hand here, by the way. Uh, they went to the JNF, and um, there was a picture of Ochberg on the wall. And they said, who is that man? They said, I don't know who that man is. What are you talking to? There's people all over the place. So... And that's what happens. As time passes, these memories and these great people go into history, some of them, and they're forgotten. Well, um, through Herzl and Benny, they decided that this was not going to happen, and they built a memorial. Not they built, sorry. This is what actually happened, is that the JNF in Israel said we are building a, in a forest um, a cycle track 
in a new area and we want to give you $25,000 to build a memorial for these children. Now, I don't know about you or any of your listeners, but I've never heard of a Jewish charity giving you money. <laughs> doesn't doesn't happen. So they built this most amazing thing on the, near kibbutzes in, in this area, on this tract of land that Ochberg had given. And they had a, a fantastic ceremony where people came from all over the world to this wonderful ceremony to open up this memorial and the names of every child that was on, and there was 183 that made it to South Africa, was on a stone in this memorial park. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't make it. It was heartbreaking, but I could not make it. So last year, no, it wasn't last year, in 2019, I'm so confused with these years now, 2019 in November, we went to Israel. And I had a mission. I was going to visit this particular memorial. There was, I had a very full agenda when I was in Israel, but this was not negotiable. And I had planned it down to the last detail, how we would go to this kibbutz. We would ask someone, where is the memorial? And we'd go and see it. Well, what happened is... Just wait before we get back to what happened next, because I love the story. Are we just going to a break? IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. When God created the lofty mountains, the oceans teeming with life, the planets and the galaxies, God also thought the world needed one of you. What did you do today to better the world? Big or small, we would love to hear from you. Email Kathy with a K at highfm.com. Share your story. Inspire others. Change the world. Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, I'm back with Brian Fine. And we are talking about a wonderful story about when the angels came and uh, the day the angels came. Let's go on with that. You had you were in search of the Ochberg Memorial, and you okay. got turkeys. Okay. There's a wonderful word. It's called forblonza. Yeah. What does <laughs> you, it mean? You get forblonza. You get lost. <laughs> okay. What happened to us? We just got lost, and as we were searching for this kibbutz, believe it or not, Waze, which is the most amazing uh, direction finder, took us to a place called Dahlia, not Kibbutz Dahlia, and we were now a little bit late. And the sun was starting to set over the Mediterranean, and I was starting to panic. Anyway, we made it to the Kibbutz Dahlia, and we couldn't find anyone who could speak English. Now, I speak a little bit of Hebrew, and I asked where it is, and we tried to get a direction. They said, turn right. Now, a lot of Israelis don't know they're left from their right, so we turned <laughs> right. What they meant was left, and so we got lost, and the sun was setting. It was getting darker. I was panicking, and by now, I, I was almost giving up. I'd come to Israel with one mission, and this mission was failing. 
we now landed up on a road, on a sandy road, looking for this memorial near the kibbutz. We asked some kids, do you know where it is? Um, they kind of explained. And the next thing, the sun was going down over the Mediterranean. I could see it. the sky was crimson red and we were lost. And I was in despair. Well, these friends of ours from Canada who we were with said, you know what? There's only an angel that can save us now. And out of the darkness came two people walking. Must have been Rivka and Chaimke came walking along from a kibbutz. And I said to them, do you know where this Ochberg, offered, uh, Ochberg Memorial is? He says, Ochberg, Ochberg. Didn't know what I was talking about. So I said, Ochberg, Ochberg. Don't you understand Ochberg, the memorial? He says, ah, Ochberg. And then he pointed in the direction and over the, it must have been three or four kilometers away. He said, it's over there. I said, please jump in my car and take me there. And he did. Well, got to this memorial. The lights, the, 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 the sun had almost set. It was dark. Thank God our iPhones had little torches and we got there and I had the most spiritual visit to my father's memorial that I, I just cannot imagine it. I know I missed the big ceremony when they opened, but for me, just standing on this kibbutz site, the memorial of all these kids oh. in the dark, in the semi darkness mm-hmm. and I could smell I'd lived on a kibbutz not too far away. I could smell the orchards. I could smell the citrus. And I just stood there, the breeze going through me. And it was a very spiritual moment for me. So, uh, yes, the angels certainly came that day. <laughs> and what happened to the angels once they had shown you the way? You know what? They walk. They were out walking. And they continued walking to the kibbutz, which was another five kilometers away. They said, I said, thank you very much. And I blessed them. It was too wonderful. How wonderful. It must have been the most unbelievably emotional, almost an end to this journey that you began when you started your search. It it was. It was. Um, By the way, if you, anyone wants to go to Israel to visit the memorial, you can actually go to Google and you can put in Ochberg Memorial because I made sure that Google would actually find it. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Now, Brian, if anyone would like to contact you because they are, they know an, an Ochberg orphan or their new one or they, the descendants, who, how can they get hold of you? Well, um, I'm not a big Facebook person. Uh, I mean, I do have a... Oh, no, in fact, it's not a great thing. I have a site called Ochberg Org. Ochberg.org? Uh, hold on. Uh, you're asking me now. Sue, so I'll get it for you in a second, and I'll tell you before this program is over. Okay, um, we're about to wrap up. 
But, Brian, um, you know, I think right now your story is such an important one because we are looking at white supremacy um, rising its uh, ugly head, anti-Semitism. There was a museum statement that came out of the U.S. Capitol this week. It says, reflecting on the appalling attack on the U.S. Capitol and our democracy, the museum recalls the special significance of that building for Holocaust survivors. And um, so I think that we really, right now, the story of courage, of perseverance, of actually stepping out and finding who you are, who your father was, I think it's a great honor to actually, for your dad, and a wonderful story of, of courage right now. Thank you so much, Brian, for being on my program. I know that you have also started a wonderful, um, uh, what, what is your, uh, uh, Alta, now what's it called? No, um, very, very briefly. It's just a, a group of men got together, six of us got together, and that grew over the years. Um, we now have 350 people, mainly South Africans, all over the world, and we call ourselves the Altazachen. And if anyone wants to visit the Altazachen site, it's A-L-T-E-Z-A-G-E-N dot com. And Great. So she, they can actually get you on that as well for Ockberg if uh, they need to. I guess they could. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm sorry I'm getting messages to, to wrap up, to wrap up, to wrap up. So I have got to wrap up now. We, there's so much more to say, but there is always an end to a program. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.